0: Last night slash this morning, I had a really weird dream where I was on loads of planes Don't and went care. to America.
1: I'm going to mute everything now.
0: <laughs> the New Show 12. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got some questions for you as usual. You can send us those questions via email, show at the show or on Twitter at show. And do let us know if you want to remain anonymous, otherwise we might read your name out. And if you want to support creation of these episodes, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com asknewshow. And thank you, everyone who is supporting us. It really is appreciated. And remember, if you support us for $5 or more, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. So check that out. So the first question then,
2: stickers on laptops or not? And this is from Jeffrey. I'm going to say or not. I don't even really like like the OEM stickers that some manufacturers put, like the little powered by Intel or whatever jazz. I like it super clean. I actually the um the Pine Book Pro, how it has like no branding whatsoever except for the little pine logo on the super key, like that's that's super slick. like super minimal branding is is where I'm at.
1: I go through phases all of the laptops I've had over the last 10 years have gone through phases of being absolutely plastered in stickers or having no stickers or having just one sticker. All of them now have just one sticker, just an Ubuntu sticker. But at some point, my T450, my X220 and my MacBook Pro before that all were plastered in stickers. And at some point I rage quit Stickers and just peeled them all off and then used goo gone to remove all the, all the crud and then cleaned the lid and that was it. They were gone and it was clean again, but. I think it's when I go to a conference, I get bitten by sticker bug and I end up putting loads of stickers on while I'm at the conference. And then a few months later, I think, what the hell was I thinking? And then peel them all off again. <laughs> Is that I've gone through this multiple times. It's stupid. And I, I'm, I'm going to resolutely not do that ever again. All the stickers I get from uh, conferences just go in a bag and they're in a drawer and I'm probably never going to stick them on anything.
0: Well, I have kind of two rules really. Is it something that I'm ever likely to sell or not? And so any good laptops don't get any stickers. Anything that's a bit shit gets covered in stickers. So my Chromebook that I bought really cheap, it was a C720. I've actually given it to my mum now, um, covered in Linux stickers, <laughs> um, that It was like a a refurb and it was in pretty poor cosmetic condition. Someone had tried to clean it with a solvent and it just looked a bit ropey, really. And so I just thought, fuck it, whatever. I'll just cover that in stickers. And my desktop machine, I'm never going to sell that. That's like 10 years old plus at this point. And the case was never particularly expensive. So I've covered one side of that in stickers. But my nice laptops, no. They just remain pristine. Not even any stickers at all. (music) What are some native Linux apps that you think are a great example of modern and intuitive UI design, something you think developers should try to follow or replicate in their own software? And this is from Matt.
2: Well, you know, I'm going to have to pimp some App Center apps out, man. <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't see that coming. So cheers, Matt, for handing me that one. That's a softball. Honestly, um, I'd say probably one of the the best native apps I've seen is um, Planner, and it's a Todoist app, but it's native GTK. And it's so good that when Todoist announced that they were going to make their Linux app, I saw so many comments on like blogs reporting it that were like, I'm not going to use that, I'm going to use Planner. That's how good it is. It's better than the actual endorsed app. I'm not sure about this question, mainly because I get really uptight
1: about people saying native. What the fuck do you mean by native application?
2: It uses platform APIs. It confirms to accessibility settings and all that kind of good stuff. You change your text size in the operating system, it changes its text size. It uses high DPI. That could apply to a lot
1: of things if they're well made. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Written in a particular language or, you know, using a particular toolkit or something, so long as it's, you know, compliant. Well, that's your judge on what's native. Like I think what most people think when they say native is not something that's like an emulated windows application in wine, probably, or not something that's written in Java. I hear people say, Oh, that's not native. It's Java or something, which I find is bullshit because nobody ever complains about applications on windows being native or not or most people don't i'm sure some people complain about you know the new windows design paradigm and metro and then the old old classic windows paradigm and nobody ever cares really about whether something's native or not it's really whether it works or not i completely disagree with you so hard yeah of course you do because you're like elementary of course you do uh but i look around and none of the almost none of the applications i'm running right now are what you might call native i've got the java thing a cute thing something written in flutter something written in python they're all different things different toolkits they're all inconsistent and i don't give a shit because they all work
2: but you're weird alan You're not a normal person. I'm very normal. I
1: can show you
2: numbers that prove that I'm very normal because there are millions of other people who use these same apps. We constantly hear from users, even if they don't understand the difference, that they're like, why doesn't this app work? Why doesn't it do this correctly? Why doesn't it integrate like that correctly? Like it's, we really hear it. Even if they don't know why, they know it's wrong and yet you don't hear from all those millions of people who
1: are just sat there using these applications perfectly fine all day every day and don't give a shit because they're quite happy using the fact that Audacity looks like dog shit GTK2 or whatever the hell it is. But it's a great application for recording audio, and it does the job. And the vast majority of people actually just want to achieve a task. They don't want platform consistency. They just want a thing to do the job And how do I do the job? I install this thing, and this thing helps me do that job.
2: There's such another layer to that, though, of people can't get the job done a lot of time for applications that are too cumbersome or confusing or don't show up at the right resolution as their monitor or they can't use accessibility tools with. Like, It doesn't do the job if it doesn't have at least a bare minimum level of integration. Like Steam, for the longest time, didn't do the job on high DPI monitors because you couldn't even see the fucking interface because it was it was so shrunk like if if there's not at least some level of nativeness then it doesn't do the job for a lot of people
1: it turns out the vast majority of people don't have high dpi monitors so back in the day it didn't matter that it doesn't do scaling properly and yeah okay things have changed and a lot more people have high dpi monitors and So applications are becoming more conformant and things look a bit prettier, but certainly back in the day, some of these things didn't matter. And I I still maintain that for a large number of people, 1080p is still the resolution they use and the vast majority of applications look fine in 1080p. They might not look beautiful, but they look and work just fine.
2: Well, high DPI isn't about looking beautiful. Like it, it's, it's literally unusable. Like the UI is too small. It's, it's the wrong size. You can't see it. Like this is, it isn't just, that's, that's like a huge problem is when we talk about user experience, it's not about looking beautiful. Like this, this is such like a ridiculous thing though to say. Like that's not even right at all because it's users can't even use these apps if like contrast isn't good or if they can't use their screen reader, or if their inputs don't work. Like that's what user experience is. It's not about making it look beautiful. Like it's about being able to even use the app. Can we drag it back
0: on topic then and <laughs> talk about, let's not care about whether it's native or whatever your definition of that is, but what are some good examples? Let me start then. Ubiquity, the installer. I think that is a great installer. Compare it to Anaconda from Fedora, for example, which is more powerful but far less intuitive. I think just the the way that Ubiquity has simplified everything is just a brilliant example of good design.
1: Well, hmm. yeah, <laughs> I was quite surprised <clears throat> that you picked that because it's quite aged and it hasn't had any design love for a very very long time it hasn't been touched in terms because it's good and doesn't need it no that's not true it really does it looks aged and and i would say the same thing of things like ubuntu unity it looked okay back in the day but if you spin up unity on 2004 right now it it looks aged and ubiquity is the same yeah you can give it a new lick of paint and Change the theme and put some new pictures in there but it doesn't change the fact that it is it's quite old and crusty by now how would you change it though and more importantly why why would you change it well i'd simplify it it, it, it some of the screens look a little bit too busy for me and there's too much going on but i think the installer that i used on the Pine Book Pro that was used by Elementary was pretty clean. There were few questions asked, there were few things I had to do, there were a few buttons presses. It was a little bit weird in that um sometimes I couldn't tell where I needed to click because there were just pictures on the screen and there was no outline around them and I couldn't really tell. But once I figured out what the meaning of that was, and I'm sure that will be fixed, or you know, that's you know, will be addressed. But it it was a lot simpler. And it didn't, it didn't feel like I was doing something technical when I was installing elementary on the Pinebook Pro.
0: Yeah, but the difference is that was an REM installer. It had already been installed to the disk. And so it had one major step removed
1: from it. I don't think it really matters. It's, it's not the, the number of steps. It's the way it's presented cleanly and not having a load of additional cruft, like cluttering the screen up and, and stuff that just, I
2: don't know, it just, it just looks old. That's actually one of the big reasons that we worked with System76 to develop a new installer flow was that with Ubiquity you have two completely different flows for regular installations and OEM flows. And it makes it really complicated um, especially when you have lots of users who are in between those things where they're... Trying to prepare a computer for a friend or family member, or they're a small computer rare, uh, repair shop that doesn't do mass imaging. Um, and, and so it doesn't account for the kind of needs that users have when they're installing these days. Uh, not everybody who is going to use the operating system is going to be the person doing the install process. So that, that's a kind of a big reason to change Ubiquity is is the new setup flows in Gnome assume that you have this setup process that happens after installation, after you reboot in. And I think there's been more of an emphasis on onboarding placed, um, probably driven by like mobile and, and tablet workflows. But yeah, Ubiquity is kind of outdated in those ways. And if you're looking at applications,
1: because Ubiquity really isn't an application as such. I mean, okay, it is an application for installing the OS, but you know, traditionally people think of like desktop applications. And I think it depends on your target audience as to what it's going to look like or what it's going to feel like. Like if you look at developer tools like Visual Studio Code or Sublime Text or something like that, I I enjoy using those things. But if I was going to suggest Applications that I think I like the flow of, I would probably user tools, not developer tools. I would think of some of the stuff that's on Ubuntu Touch, something like the music app. It's it's a lot simpler and not as busy as Rhythmbox used to be and Banshee and some of the other music players. So I think I think I like the simplicity of some of those um, Ubuntu Touch apps over desktop apps. There's not many desktop apps that that immediately sprung to mind when you asked that question, to be honest.
0: This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into cloud, hybrid, and multi-cloud environments. Quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers in real time with customizable dashboards and troubleshoot Linux issues in seconds, with a unified view of your metrics traces and logs all in one place with integrations for over 400 technologies you can even use datadog to monitor key linux source metrics alongside data from the rest of your stack to get full visibility into the health and performance of your entire infrastructure start your datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com the new show start your free trial Create one dashboard, and you'll get a free DataDog T-shirt. That's datadog.com/the-new-show. At what point do you muster the guts to tell your friend that they are better off without their
1: significant other? Hmm, this is tricky because I've done this uh, many years ago, like twenty years ago. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was dating someone and. At the time, I think he was also seeing someone else. And I told the woman he was dating, I said, you know, uh, she, she was absolutely besotted by him and absolutely, you know, head over heels and was like, oh, he's the one, he's the one. And I was like, well, maybe like, don't put too much trust in this guy, you know. And then I was like, I think like I'd had a couple of beers and we're at a party. Um, and, uh, I tried to wriggle out of that, but wasn't able to. So, yeah, that that ruined that relationship somewhat. <laughs> so I won't be doing that again.
0: So for you, just never is a good time. Just let them make their own mistakes and
1: let them work it out. I mean, if they want to talk to you about it, you can be supportive to them. Whoever, yeah, whichever half of it, half of the relationship talks to you. But like, it's it's super difficult to insert yourself into... That conversation because people are going to make mistakes and sometimes people have to learn. Now, if someone's getting damaged along the way, like if someone was being financially ripped off by a scam or something, or, you know, there was something deeper that, you know, violence or something, then yeah, okay. Probably would step in. But if it's just these people are not getting on or there's, you know, something going on behind the scenes it's often none of your business so stay out of it in my mind i think it's different if they
0: are clearly two-timing or something like that that that's kind of different but what about if there's someone who's just they they get together with someone and that other person is just a nightmare and just obviously the wrong person for them and you, you feel like you want to say something. This must have happened to both of you. You must have had friends who have got together with someone they're just obviously, obviously the wrong person for them. Yeah. And you want to say something, but
1: you just feel like you, you can't, can you? Or, or can you? Is the question? No. And afterwards, you can support them when, yeah, when when it all falls apart. I had a friend who we all thought his, his girlfriend was a crazy lady and uh, they ended up getting married and they moved out to the States together. And then one day it all fell apart and he ended up leaving and coming home to the UK without a penny to his name, left everything in the States, including her and uh, just like broke it up completely. And we we were there to support him when he came back. But at the time, you know, when he went, it was like, well, good luck. You know, hope it all works out. But you never know what goes on behind closed doors inside someone else's relationship. From the outwards, you might think, wow, what a shambles that relationship is, or what a complete shitshow. But when you look at, you know, because you don't see everything, you don't see them 24 hours a day, so you don't know what's going on on the other side. It's You can't make that judgment because you're not that involved in that relationship. So you can't. I, th- I think you're better off staying out, but being supportive when they need you.
2: Yeah, I guess... For me, the line is where they start conveying that they're deeply unhappy or that they're frequently unhappy or frustrated or it seems like they feel like they're not going to be able to achieve their goals or things like that. Where it becomes like a really obvious negative influence on their happiness or their life. If it's just someone I don't like, like I'm not in a relationship with them, I don't need to like them, you know. But if my friend is coming to me and repeatedly telling me, like, oh yeah, you know, this happened and like it really sucks and I'm unhappy, then there's got to be a certain point where it's like, you know, hey, I hate to state the obvious, but you, you seem like you're continuing to have these issues and they seem to be kind of based around this relationship. You know, like I think there's got to be a breaking point there where uh, I, at least it's, it's hard when you're in a relationship to always necessarily think critically about it. Like, you want to believe the best of that person, and especially when you know there's something wrong, but you want to go, you know, oh, they're going to change and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think there is some level of, I don't think responsibility is a great word, because I wouldn't fault anybody for not, but there's some level of, you know, I would appreciate my friends keeping me tethered to reality. It does depend
0: on how well you know them, though, doesn't it? If you if you really really know them and can be honest with them, then it's easier. But even then, I've been in that situation where it was just really obvious, and I, I just I just couldn't bring myself to actually say it, and I, I just had to let it figure itself out, and it did in the end, and things are all fine now. And I, I can think of two people where this has happened and two people who I should have been able to speak to about it and I could have made their lives happier more quickly but then I suppose there wouldn't be the people there if they hadn't made those mistakes and stuff
2: yeah I I can think of a, a couple of situations with some really close friends where um, it's been obvious to very pe- various people that their relationships were destructive and I don't think it was problematic to lay it out on the table because it wasn't like you know, oh, I dislike this person or whatever, or you can't tell people what to do, you know, the the, the only thing you can really do is kind of point out what's happening, you know? If you are stay objective and say, hey, these are the facts, you know, and then kind of you can ask them, like, is that the kind of relationship that you want? You can force them to to consider the facts, but you can't tell them what to do.
0: What's the worst movie you've seen more than five times? This is tricky
1: for a few reasons. Uh, Why would someone watch a terrible film multiple times is the first thing that springs to mind. And how are you measuring best and worst? Just the movie that you think
0: is the worst movie that you've seen, but more than five times. So it's obviously not going to be the worst movie you've ever seen. That's the, the, the genius of the question, you see.
1: Yeah. So, I've made a list of some of the films that I think other people might consider are the worst movies that I know I have seen probably five times. There's a couple that I'm not sure I could say hand on heart five times, like Freddy Got Fingered, for example. Yeah. I'm pretty. And that comes in at 4.6, according to IMDb, which is. <laughs> But I think I've only seen that a couple of times, so I I don't think I can honestly use that one. And I started looking at like pastiche films like Starship Troopers because I know a lot of people really hate that, and I brought that up in a meeting earlier in the week, and someone was like, oh, my God, that film! shit. I walked out of the cinema. Half the cinema walked out when that was on, and I was like, really? I don't think it was that bad, and I've definitely seen that five times. And that's got 7.2 on IMDb. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's all right. Yeah, it's a nice romp, as they say. Um, another one I saw, which I know a lot of people criticize, is AI, that one with the little boy robot thing. And I've definitely seen that five times. But that was 7.2 as well. Ranked the same with Starship Troopers. Yeah, that's not terrible. No, it's not. It's, it's pretty good. It's quite long, but I quite like it. Um, but actually... The film I've definitely seen more than five times, which gets the lowest ranking of all the films I've seen, I think, is Tron Legacy, which only has 6.8 on uh, IMDb. And I love that film. Absolutely probably love that film. So I think that's probably it, actually. Tron Legacy. But you think it's good. Yeah, I love it. So therefore, it's not the worst movie, according
0: to you. You're, you're trying to use IMDb, which is just a bunch of other people's opinions
1: right but i didn't know the question didn't say what's the worst film that you alan think is the worst film it just said what's the worst film that you've seen more than five times and i don't know what the measure of worst and best was you know i didn't know if you two were going to critique my list and go oh god that's shit alan how can you possibly sit through that film oh my god i'd have to be nailed to the spot to watch that i don't know or or what but i i don't know yeah. hmm it's, it's really hard, that question, because I don't think I would, I don't think there's many films that I would sit through five fucking times. I'll tell you what, I, I yeah, no, I've got it. I've got it. Star Wars episode one. There you go. <laughs> Star Wars The Phantom Menace. It's a shit film, and I've definitely seen that more than five times. I don't know why everybody hates on the prequels so much. I think they're great stories.
0: What I like about the prequels is that they changed the Star Wars universe from being fantasy to sci-fi. Did they? Yes, because of midi-chlorians, which people say, oh, that's a terrible, oh, that ruined the whole thing. But no, the whole Jedi magic powers thing was just magic before. But midi-chlorians gave it a scientific or, you know, pseudo-scientific sci-fi explanation for how the people who were Jedi had those powers.
2: I don't think that, like, overwrites all the other stuff that's just, like, blatantly nonsensical magic. It
0: gives it a scientific foundation. It it doesn't make sense. Obviously, it's just ridiculous. It's fiction, but it changes it fundamentally from fantasy to sci-fi. As far as I'm
1: concerned, I think my problem with the first one is the whole pod racer bullshit. I I hate that part of the film. I could just easily skip that entire part of the film. I don't care about any of that. Mainly because I don't watch any kind of sport, and so I can't get bought into the you know supporting the character and you know it just it feels like. Penelope Pitstop and the Keystone Cops and that kind of chase, it just looks ludicrous and he's stupid and I hate it and the character is annoying little prick and I don't like him. So, yeah, for all those reasons, I've actually come to a conclusion now Star Wars, the first one, is the worst film of all time as far as this question goes.
2: I also feel like this question is difficult because... I don't know how many movies that are bad that I've seen more than five times. Like that's so many times to watch a movie that you just don't like. Like what circumstances are leading you to have to sit there for like an hour and a half, five times through something you don't like? I don't know.
1: I've got a good a good example when your girlfriend wants to watch Dirty Dancing or Grease. Okay, that's and fair. Uh, you sit through it for them. So actually, probably, I would probably put Dirty Dancing near Star Wars as one of the worst films that I happen to have seen five times, but I only saw it five times because various girlfriends over the years have uh, said that that's their favorite film. I remember being in a queue at an airport once, and I was chatting to another canonical person about... Uh, best films or something. And I said, well, there's the two films that are all women-like and these two women in front of me in the queue ears pricked up and like went to turn around. And I went, Dirty Dancing and Grease. And they both nodded and were like, yep, yep, you're right. Yes, yeah, obviously.
0: <laughs> or in my case, the 2008 classic starring Pamela Anderson and Denise Richards. I know it's on the tip of your tongue. Blonde and Blonder. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Which is sort of a terrible almost parody of Dumb and Dumber it gets 2.8 on IMDb and for some reason my wife loves it it's just so (laughs) ridiculous that she loves it and she makes me watch it now she claims that we've not watched it more than five times but I am fucking certain that we have over the last 15 years well I suppose over the last 12 years that it's been out we have we have seen that at least five times and it's like so bad that it's funny in a way. It's it's much like Freddy Got Fingered, which would be my other one. But um, yeah, it's pretty bad.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to think of like you know movies that I watched as a kid over and over and over again. I guess. Ooh. You know, or actually, you know what? Uh, now that I think about it, some more is. My little sister was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz, and I think I just got sick of that movie. I think that's my one that I've seen more than five times, that I just, I'm tired of watching that movie. I can't watch it anymore. It's not a bad movie, though. But I I just can't watch it anymore. (laughs) It's been too many times. And it's funny because even like uh, every single year for Christmas, my mom likes watching uh, Serendipity. We watch this movie like every year. And I'm fine watching that movie. I think it's a great movie. But for some reason, I'm just burned out on The Wizard of Oz. See, Joe, you've just done the thing you said you weren't
1: going to do. You asked me what my worst film was. And then when Dan wanted to say that his worst film was Wizard of Oz, you said, that's not a bad film, though.
2: <laughs> so it's like, who's the judge here of what is a good film and a bad film? Is it what Joe says? I'm sure it's objectively a better film, but I just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Dan said he was sick of it. You didn't say that it's a bad movie.
1: Okay, yeah, that's fair. He that's... did put it forward for an answer for the question though. Well, he's wrong.
2: Yeah. I can't I'm trying to think of I guess like probably the dumbest movie that I've seen more than five times is probably like the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. <laughs> like and it's I still feel like it's actually a pretty good movie, though it has a six point nine on IMDB. <laughs> <laughs> so one I've
1: I've got on DVD and it was one of the first DVDs I ever bought and it's got 6.3 on imdb and i'm pretty certain i've watched it five times which was roller coaster and the only thing i remember about that film is that you know how they they tell you what kind of audio system the thing was filmed in like if it's 5.1 or 3.1 or something it's the only film i'm aware of which is filmed in 1.1 it's mono (laughs) with a sob. (laughs) it's not even stereo